You're listening to The Bible Says. You'll discover that many of the things you think the Bible says, it actually does not say. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. Yeah, sometimes you got to be reminded, you know what I mean? Life happens and we get distracted. But today really is going to be a good day. I'm excited that you are in God's house. Uh, You could be in a lot of different places, but you are here. Hey, right quick before we get to the message, let me just make one uh, announcement for you. How many of y'all know there is a big holiday coming up in just a few weeks? Anybody know about that big holiday coming up? Easter Sunday, Easter. Uh, I love Easter. It's a time that we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We really celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. That's why we meet on Sundays. Uh, But uh, Easter Sunday is kind of like the Super Bowl of uh, Sundays for churches everywhere. So we're praying for all the churches here in Warren County. We're praying for church services everywhere. We want God to move in a mighty way. And uh, we certainly want the same thing to happen here. And so we're actually trying to make more room so that more people can come uh, to know Jesus. Last year, we had over 500 people come to our Easter services. And so you look around, and you're like, man, we don't really have a whole lot of space, right? So what we're going to try to do is we're going to have two services again this Easter. We're going to have a service at 9 and a service at 11. They'll be identical services, uh, but what we're asking is that you can help us out two ways. First thing we need you to do is we want you to invite people, okay? Invite your friends, invite your family, invite your enemies, uh, invite your neighbors, invite the checkout lady at uh, Walmart or wherever you are. Just invite everybody. Get them here. But invite people and uh, get them here. Do whatever it takes to get them here. Tell them you'll buy them a donut before service. Tell them they can go eat with you, even if they don't go eat with you. you know, just tell them they can go eat with you after service. Uh, whatever, it, whatever it takes just to get them here. And uh, also, the second thing we're asking you to do, not only to invite people, but also to serve, okay? Uh, so we really like for people to attend one service and serve at another service. So maybe you'll serve at the first service and you'll attend the second service, or you'll uh, attend the, I might have said it wrong, attend the first service, did I say it right? Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm from Pearl, right? Uh, But you know what I'm talking about. So uh, that'll really help make sure that we're able to minister to people uh, the way that we should be. Again, we just are really hoping that Easter Sunday is going to be a day of life change for so many. And so we're committed to doing two services for the next three weeks after Easter. Don't show up next week at nine o'clock. But Easter, uh, April 21st, and then the next Sunday and the next Sunday, we're going to have two services because we're trying to make room uh, for people. So y'all going to help me out? Everybody say, yep. Good job. I'm excited. I'm excited. I hope y'all are too. All right, well, that's all I got. So let's get to the message. We're we're wrapping up uh, a series that we have been in for the past month called The Bible Says. The Bible Says. And I wonder, as we start this morning, how many people here uh, like the King James Version of the Bible? You like the King James Version of the Bible? Several people like the King James Version of the Bible. How many of y'all have heard of the King James Version of the Bible? More people. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so uh, nothing wrong with the King James Version of the Bible. If you like the King James Version of the Bible, there's nothing wrong with that. People traditionally like the King James Version because it's written kind of in Old English. It's kind of uh, got some uh, poetic. It's poetic in its nature, and so some people really uh, like that. And it was first printed in 1611 and because of the King James Version of the Bible so many people were able to actually have access to the Bible themselves they were able to search the Bible and see what the Bible says for themselves again that was in 1611 well uh, so many people had access to the Bible and wanted a Bible 
that they actually ran out of copies, and so they had to do a reprint of the Bible. And so in the 1600s, they didn't have MacBooks, they didn't have PCs, they didn't have uh, the iCloud drive, and they didn't have, what's the other one, you know what I mean, Dropbox, they didn't have any of that stuff. And so it really required that everything be re-entered uh, in manually. And so, again, in 1631, they decided to do a reprint of the King James Version of the Bible. And so what they did was they went to Robert Baker, who was actually a royal printer. He was the same guy who was responsible for printing the original version of the King James Version, 1611. And so they asked him to do the same thing again in 1631. And so y'all are going, man, what does this have to do with anything? Just follow me. Just stay with me for just a minute. All right. And so, again, he reprinted the Bible uh, in 1631, the King James Version of the Bible. But when he did, he made a serious mistake. Like, everybody knows the Ten Commandments. You know the Ten Commandments. You know what I mean? You're supposed to uh, have no other gods before God, no graven images. You're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. You're supposed to remember the Sabbath, right? You're supposed to honor your father and your mother. You're not supposed to kill. You're not supposed to commit adultery. You're not supposed to steal. You're not supposed to uh, really, uh, you know, bear false witness against your neighbor. You're not supposed to uh, covet anything that your neighbor has. Those are the Ten Commandments. People know those. And so uh, anyway, you know those. But when he was printing the reprint in 1931, the seventh commandment, he accidentally left out one word. And so instead of the Bible saying, thou shalt not commit adultery, he actually wrote, thou shalt commit adultery. It's a true story. And so you talk about messing up uh, what the Bible actually says. The printing company basically begged people to return their Bibles, and all the Bibles that were returned, they actually uh, burned. But there are at least 10 known copies of this Bible that are still in existence today. And this translation, this version of the Bible, has been nicknamed the Wicked Bible or the Adulterous Bible. But it all happened because the printing press didn't get what God's Word says right. Well, I wonder today what people might refer to the Bible as because you and I just don't get the Bible right. I mean, let's be honest, we're pretty good. We're pretty good at messing up what God's Word says, right? There's a lot of people that will say, hey, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and a lot of times the things that we say the Bible says, the Bible actually doesn't really say. And so what we've been doing in this series is looking at some of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. We've been looking at some of the most common sayings that people say the Bible says in an effort to make sure that we get what the Bible says right. Because what we have said again through this series is that it's important to know what God's Word says, right? But it's even more important for you and I to know what the Bible actually means when it says it. And so today we're going to wrap up this series and we're going to talk about another phrase that people say the Bible says, a phrase that a lot of well-meaning Christians say, and that is this, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Maybe you yourself have even said that. God will never give you more than you can handle. I, I hate it. I hate it when people say that to me. 
life will seem to be falling apart. And maybe that's where you've been before. I mean, nothing was going right. I mean, the bottom is way down here, you know. But then there you are buried 100 feet under the bottom in concrete. And some well-meaning Christian will come up to you and look at you and your situation and look at you with your circumstances. And they'll say, well, hey, you know what? Just remember, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's, I mean, it's like you're drowning. You know what I mean? Your you're, just arms are flapping everywhere. You're doing everything you can to keep your head above waters. And then again, some well-meaning Christian comes to you and sees you just like this, and they say, hey, keep your head up. God will never give you more than you can handle. I don't know about you, but when that happens, I want to karate chop that person in the throat in Jesus' name. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you got to put it in Jesus' name, and that makes it all right. But man, that's really one of the dumbest things I have ever heard. And it's not only dumb, it's not only dumb, but the Bible never says that. You know why a lot of Christians believe the Bible says that? It's because they misinterpret another verse in the Bible, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And here's what that verse says. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, it's, it's important. It's important for you to know that that verse right there doesn't say that God will never give you more than you can handle. That verse says that God will never tempt you. You will never, God, you'll never be tempted beyond what you can bear. And in fact, when you are tempted, God will always provide a way for you to escape. He'll always provide a way for you to get out of that temptation. Again, God never said, though, He wouldn't put more on you than you can handle. In fact, if you read the Bible, if you read the Bible, just about every story, I mean, the Bible is full of story after story after story of people who were given more than they could handle on their own. When you think about Moses and what God called Moses to do, God looked at Moses and said, Hey, Moses, I want you to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. I want you to be their leader. I want you to, to, to take care of them. I want you to make sure that they're looked after. And what does Moses say? Moses said, Hey, I can't speak good. I, I, I can't speak good. I got a stuttering problem. I'm not the right guy for this. He gets into that position and he's like, man, I'm just not a good leader. He looks at God and he says, these people are wearing me out. I don't have what it takes. You keep on reading in the book of Judges. There's a guy by the name of Gideon and he says, man, I am the weakest in my clan. I am the weakest in my family. God, I don't have what it takes to do what you are asking me to do. Even Esther in the Bible, she was fearful. She knew what she needed to do, but she said, God, I just don't know that I can do it. I don't have what it can take, what it takes. King David, King David was the same way in Psalm 38 verse 4. Look at what he says. He says this, he says, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. He goes on to say in verse 8 of Psalm 38, he says, I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. I don't know if you realize it or not, but that's a guy right there who's saying, I, I, what I'm going through is, is more than I can handle. Uh, what I'm going through is just more than I can take. I, I don't have I don't have what it takes to make it through. And so even Jesus in the New Testament, even Jesus had these same types of challenges. If 
you turn to Mark chapter 14, verses 33 and 34, look at what Jesus, look at what happens for Jesus. The Bible says he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. Do you see that? Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the, the God-man, basically saying, man, I, I am deeply troubled. I am deeply distressed. Luke's gospel tells us that at this particular event, he is sweating drops of blood. And look at what it goes on to say in verse 34. It says, he then told him, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And he asked him to stay here and keep watch with me again. That's Jesus. Jesus being overwhelmed by what is going on in his life. As he looked to the cross and what he was about to endure, he, he's overwhelmed. Again, God never said he wouldn't give you more than you could handle. And maybe you're here today and you know that. Maybe you're here today and you know that because right now you're going through some stuff and it's just wearing you down. Right now you're going through some stuff and you just don't think you can make it through. Right now you're going through some stuff and man, you are just so discouraged. You're so depressed. There's all this pressure because of what you are going through and maybe you are ready to quit because you think you just don't have what it takes to make it through. You're wondering why in the world is this even happening to me? Well, let me give you two reasons why God will often give you more than you can handle. Two reasons why. If you keep a note, you want to write them down. The first reason why God will often give you more than you can handle is because he wants you to learn to depend on his presence. He wants you to learn to depend on his presence. See, folks, let's just be honest. When life is going the way that we want it to, when life is good, we think, yeah, God, I, I know that I need you. I know that I need you, and, and I, I, I know that you're there, but life's going really good right now, and so I don't really need you that much. That, that's really how we are. We tend to forget about God when things are going good. But the moment that things begin to spiral out of control, and the moment that things seem to, to go bad, we, we, we change our tune really, really quickly, right? We're like, God, I need you! Right? I need you every hour. Every hour I need you. That's, we pray that when things are going bad. See, I got two little girls, and it's amazing how fast they have grown up. My oldest will be 13 next month. Everybody say, oh, no. Thank you so much for your sympathy, man. She's about to be 13. She's about to be 13, but I remember when she was little, man. When she was little, uh, she didn't mind me holding her. She didn't. In fact, there were times where Brianna would just walk up beside me, and she would grab my hand, you know what I mean? There were even times where she would say, hold me, daddy, and I, I loved it. But now, guess what? She, she's a big girl. Anybody else got a big girl don't want you to hold them no more? Man, it's tough. It's tough, man. It really, it, it really is. It's, it's, it's tough. And it's hard because I remember when we lived in Bovina, we lived next door to some friends uh, and so of her, some of her friends, and they actually had uh, two dogs, kind of had two kind of two bigger dogs. And so I remember one day I was walking her up uh, to her friend's house. And so as we were walking, she was walking uh, in the street. She's about eight or nine years old. And I said, hey, Brianna, uh, come over here and get out of the street. Hold my hand. And she's like, no, I, I, I can do it. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need to hold your hand. And I remember crying a little bit. Uh, I, I'm, I'm getting over it. It's been hard. Uh, but she was just too cool, really, to hold my daddy's, hold her daddy's hand. And so we're walking up the hill. We're walking up the hill. And as we, as we get to the yard, those dogs heard us coming. 
And so here come them dogs running, running, and you, you, know, you know what happened? Brianna changed her tune, you know what I mean? She, when, it, when she felt like Cujo was about to get her, she was like, Daddy, hold me. And it, she didn't even want me just to hold her hand. She wanted me to carry her, right? That's, that's, what she, that's what she wanted. I thought, yeah, you didn't need me when things were good. But now that things are bad, you, you want your daddy. Again, folks, that's exactly how we are with God. See, when things are good, we tend to forget all about God. We tend to forget all about him. Oh, God, I, I got this. God, I'm good. Somebody else probably needs you. I, I'm, I'm good right now. But when things get difficult, suddenly that's when we're drawn to the presence of God. So why in the world would God allow more than you can handle and more than I can handle to happen in our life? It's because he wants us to depend on his presence. You can see this reality in the Old Testament story of Jonah. All of y'all know the story of Jonah, how this man was swallowed by a big old fish. There's a lot of people who don't believe that story to be factual. In fact, I heard about this little boy that was on an air plane. He's actually reading a book about Jonah, how he was swallowed by, by a whale is what the little boy was saying. And so this older man sits beside this little boy on this airplane and says, like, what are you reading? He says, I'm reading about Jonah and the whale. And, and, the, and the man says, you don't actually believe that to be true, do you? And the little boy said, oh yeah, absolutely. I believe it. I believe it to be true. And so the man said, you actually believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish, stayed in that belly for three days and somehow was spit out and everything was okay in that man's life and a little kid said absolutely heard about it in, in church i know it's got got to be true got to be true and so the man said well how in the world do you think that happened boy thought about it for a second i don't know but when i get to heaven i'll ask jonah so the man looked at the little boy and said well what if jonah's not in heaven without skipping a beat the boy said well then i guess you can ask him <laughs> true story right Again, you know the story. God told Jonah, hey, I need you to go and preach to the Ninevites. Jonah's like, no, God, I don't think I'm going to do it. I, I don't like those folks, man. They're mean. They're, they're hateful. I don't want to do it. I'm not doing it. And so Jonah starts to rebel. And as he is rebelling, uh, his life kind of spirals out of control. And isn't that what happens for us when we rebel against God? Doesn't, doesn't it happen to our life a lot of times? And so his life is going down and through a series of odd events man he he's thrown overboard he's thrown over a ship and this fish swallows him and takes him down and look at what jonah chapter 2 verse 2 says jonah says this in my distress i called to the lord and he answered me now let me let me let me I want you to see what that verse doesn't say it doesn't say in my success i called to the lord and he he answered me does it it says in my distress I call to the Lord. Isn't it amazing how much more we crave God when, when we're in hard times? Again, again, we tend to forget all about Him in our success, but in our distress, we call to the Lord. Jonah goes on to say, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, he says this, As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. When things were bad, what happened? He remembered God, his life is slipping away. He begins to think, oh man, I can, I can call on God. Again, it's when things go wrong that we want the presence of God in our life 
the most. But the challenge for some people is that there are some people who will find themselves in a situation, in a terrible situation. They'll find themselves with, with, with these terrible circumstances going on in their life. And they begin to think, you know what, I don't have what it takes. And they find themselves in the middle of this stor- storm and they start to wonder about God. They start to wonder. They wish that whatever they were experiencing wasn't happening, and they begin to wonder why in the world it's happening, and they begin to wonder why God is allowing this. And they said, hey, I prayed for one thing, yet I received another. I guess God is not with me. I guess God is not good. I guess God is not loving, because if God was so good, He wouldn't be allowing me to go through this. If God was so powerful, He would stop this. But don't miss this. Here's the, here's the thing, and I know I've said it before, but whenever, whenever you are going through a storm, man, don't, don't let that cause you to doubt the presence of God. Don't let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God in your life because every now and then a storm will roll into your life. That's what I know about each and every person in this room. You're either in a storm right now, you just got out of a storm, or you're heading to a storm. You're either in a storm right now, you just got out of a storm, or you are heading to a storm. Don't let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God in your life. Again, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 8 that the disciples find themselves in a storm. And the Bible doesn't just say it's any storm, it calls it a ferocious storm. And they're, they're so worried, the waves are crashing onto the boat, they are rowing, they are rowing, they are doing everything that they can to save themselves. They thought they were going to die, but they forgot that Jesus Christ was on the boat with them. I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 8, verses 25 to 26, the Bible says, The disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Again, Jesus was in the boat. Jesus was with them in the storm And it's the same way with us. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God in your life. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So why in the world would God allow you to experience more than you can handle? Because sometimes he's trying to teach you to depend on him. He's trying to get you to call on him. Jonah said, in my distress, I called on him. It's when things are bad that I remembered him. David said in Psalm 145, verse 18, he says that the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Some of you right now, you might be in a storm. You might be in a storm and you're wondering why in the world God is allowing it to happen so that you'll call on him so that you will call on him. He wants you to seek him. He wants you to depend, to depend on his presence. So sometimes God will often allow you to experience more than you can handle to teach you to depend on his presence. But the second thing that I want you to see this morning, the second reason why he often allows you to go through more than you can handle is so that you can learn to depend on his power. So that you can learn to depend on his power. He wants you to depend on his supernatural power. See, the problem with so many of us is we're trying to do life on our own. And it's hard to do life on your own. Think about kids. When kids are real small, I'm talking about infants, they depend on you for everything, right? I mean, you've got to feed them, you've got to change them, 
you got to clean them. You might, I mean, they, they depend on you for everything. If they want juice or if they want something to drink, what do you got to do? You have to pour it for them. But there comes a point in their life where they say, I want to do it by myself. And you'll try to help them. And what do they say? No, I got it. I can do it. And so they'll take that big jug of milk or they'll, pick, they'll take that big jug of apple juice and they're trying to pour it themselves. And what usually happens? They make a mess. It's gone everywhere. Now you might not like, you might not be like me, but when my kids do that, I like to look at them and say, I thought you said you got it. And then I ground them for life. Y'all probably aren't like me, but that's, that's what I like to do. But the truth is we've all been programmed to believe that we can do anything. We've been programmed to believe that we can put anything, we can do anything we put our mind to. We also believe that we can handle anything that comes our way because we've bought into that lie that God will never put more on you than you can handle. None of that's true. None of that's true. You and I were created. You, you and I were created to have, we, we were created to depend on the presence of God. We weren't created to have all power and all authority ourselves. Philippians 4.13 is, is a lot of people's favorite verse in the Bible. And that verse says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Some people would look at that verse and say, well, that's my verse right there. I can do everything. I can do anything. But that verse right there has less to do with you and me and it has more to do with Christ and his power. You can do everything, not by yourself. You can do everything through Christ who gives you strength. It's not my power. It's, you, it's not your power. It's the power of Christ, period. And so we were created again to need God, to be desperate for Him. And when we recognize that God doesn't expect us to handle everything by ourselves, that's when we're going to be able to experience His power the greatest. The great apostle Paul, the great apostle Paul, he, under, he understood this. In Corinthians, he, he talked about this thorn in his flesh, this thorn in his flesh, this, this thing that bothered him. And he, he prayed for this thorn in his flesh to go away. And a lot of people have wondered, what was this thorn in his flesh? A lot of people debate on what it was. Some people feel like he had some sort of physical ailment. Some people believe it was some sort of internal struggle that he was having. But he wasn't talking uh, about a literal thorn. It wasn't like he got a thorn in his thumb from handling a piece of wood or something like that. This is a metaphor. There's something again in his life that is just bothering him. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, the Bible says this. Paul says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Now, again, you don't need to just read that and think, well, he prayed about it three times. No, what the scripture is indicating here is that there were three different seasons in Paul's life where he really sought God, spent time praying, fasting, and seeking God begging God to take this thorn away. And I'm thinking that if there's somebody whose prayer should have been answered, it would be the Apostle Paul. I'm thinking if there's somebody who had the faith that God could do what he was asking him to do, it would be the Apostle Paul. But God doesn't do what Paul asked him to do. We even talked about that in the first sermon in this series, how there's this twisted belief that just because you ask God for something, he's going to do it for you. Paul asked God to take this away and God did not do it. He didn't do it. 
And the truth is, if you walk with God long enough, and if you live in this sin-filled world long enough, you're going to have a thorn that comes alongside you that doesn't seem to go away. This thorn that seems to plague you. And you're going to wonder, God, why don't you remove this? God, why don't you answer my prayer? Why, why do I have this sickness? Why do I have this illness? Why am I having these financial problems? Why is my marriage not getting better, any better? Why are my kids not living for you? God, God, can't you just do this one thing? You'll say something along those lines, and you know that God can do what you were asking Him to do, but He doesn't. And you think, why would God allow me to have more than I can handle? Why didn't he just do what I want him to do? That's where Paul was. And so Paul's having those types of feelings. And I want you to see what he goes on to say uh, in verse 9. He says, my grace, this is, he's praying for God to take this away. And this is the response he gets from God. My grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So what does God say? Again, Paul's needing some help. Take this thorn away. And, and God says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. And so then after that, Paul starts kind of saying some weird stuff. Honestly. I mean, if you just look at this at face value, this is odd. Look at what he says. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. You see that? Paul's like, man, I'm, I'm glad I can't do everything. I'm glad I'm weak. That's, that seems really odd to me. Look at what else he goes on to say. He says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults. I, man, I don't know if you guys are understanding that. He says, hey, I'm glad that people are insulting me. Hey, it's, it's unbelievable that people talk bad about me. How many of y'all like that? Nobody gets glad about that. People post on Facebook, well, if they're talking about me, they're not talking about somebody else. Man, it hurts when people talk about you, right? There's an old saying that says, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt. Well, you ain't had nothing bad said about you before because words hurt, right? But Paul's like, man, I like insults, man. Praise the Lord. It's unbelievable. He says this. He says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer, suffer for Christ. <laughs> Why does he like those things? Look at what he says. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I delight in the hard stuff. I'm happy that I can't handle everything that comes my way. Because when I'm in the middle of stuff that I can't handle, he basically says, that's when I'm able to tap into a power that goes beyond human ability and recognition. He says, when I am weak, I have access to the supernatural power of God, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We have access to that type of power. So when I am weak, then I am strong. It's when you and I don't feel like we can make it through something. It's when we feel physically depleted and mentally depleted. That's when God's power works the best 
in you and in me. Some of us need to get to the place in our life where we stop rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and trying to work it all out by ourselves. And we need to just put up the sails and let the wind of the Holy Spirit take us wherever it is that God wants us to go. Because we serve a God who when we cannot get it done, will get it done through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. For when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. It's our weakness. See, see, I'm, see I'm, 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 I'm wrapping up. But I, I don't know who's hurting today. But maybe there's somebody here today and you're dealing with a sickness. Maybe somebody you love is sick. Maybe you're struggling financially, going through some sort of emotional battle. Again, I, I don't know who's hurting or, or what it is that you're going through. But here's what I do know for a fact. I know that you get to know God better in the valley than you do on the mountaintop. I know you get to experience his power on a greater level when you're going through something difficult than you do when you're on the rooftop. But Robert, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true. The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, you, you need to know that oftentimes he gives you more than you can handle because he wants you to do something that's outside of yourself. He does. If you're going to be a good parent, you know what? There's going to be times where parenting is going to be just more than you can handle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hey, if you're going to be a good spouse, there's going to be times where in the marriage, it's just more than you can handle. If you're going to be in the ministry, there are going to be times when it's more than you can handle. If you're going to do whatever it is that God wants you to do, there are going to be times in that situation where it is just more than you can handle. And you weren't created to do life on your own. And instead of saying, man, I... I just got to be strong. I got to be strong. I don't want people to know that I'm weak. I just got to keep on going. I don't want people to know that I'm struggling. We need to get to the place where we realize it's when we are weak and it's when we are broken that we're able to depend on God the most. That's when I depend on my Father. That's when I say, God, I need you the most because your strength is made perfect in my weakness. Why in the world does God allow us to go through more than we can handle? Maybe it's because he's trying to teach you to depend on his presence. Why in the world does God allow us to go through more than we can handle? Maybe it's because he's trying to teach you to depend on his power. See, folks, we desperately need God. Do you realize that? Do you really understand that without God, you can do nothing. Do you need him today? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I know we're all in different spots spiritually. But I know today there are some people who are going through some difficult times. I know there's some people who are hurting. And I know there are some people who need a strength beyond their own. And I just want to lift you up in prayer. Father, I pray 
for those who are in the battle who feel like they don't know how much more they can take. Father, I pray that they will depend on your presence and your power more now than they ever have. As we continue to pray, though, I wonder too, maybe there's somebody here who just doesn't know Christ. You've yet to surrender your life to him, and you just feel like your life is spiraling out of control. It's going down. It's going down. God brought you here today to remind you that real hope, the true hope, is found in Him. And by giving your life to Him, you have access, again, to His presence to comfort you. You have access to His power to bring you through. And so if you're here today and you know that you need to be saved, and that's what you want to do, I'm going to invite you to pray right where you are. Father, today, I pray that you would forgive me for all of my sins. I pray that you would come into my heart and save me. Today, I confess you as the Lord. I confess you as Savior. Mold me into a new person. May the old be gone and the new come. Empower me with your Holy Spirit to be who it is that you want me to be. Thank you for saving me. Again, we're continuing to pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. But I wonder today if there is somebody here who prayed to receive Jesus, if you do me a favor. Right where you are, I just wonder if, if you raise your hand and say, hey, you know what? Today I gave my life to Christ. Today I surrendered to him. Today I made things right. Father, we just thank you so much for your love, your grace, and your mercy, and we thank you for Jesus. Father, we thank you that he is the hope of the world he is also our hope. So, Father, I pray that we would learn to depend on you, to trust in you for all things. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.